Welcome to this bonus episode of Giants of the Faith. We're well into Season 2 now, with a narrow focus on the Reformation. In this bonus episode, we'll take a look at what the Catholic Church did in response to the movement, spearheaded by Luther, Zwingli, Calvin, and others. That response is called the Counter-Reformation, or sometimes the Catholic Reformation, and it is captured in the decisions and decrees made during the Council of Trent. Trent served to reject the Protestant distinctives, and also to clarify and support the Catholic ones. There's a lot of information that came out of Trent, and we're not going to be able to cover all 28 years of it effectively here, but I've picked out some of the major points of interest. If you want to know more, there are volumes and volumes of documentation that you can read. The Council of Trent was the 19th Church Council. It convened on December 13, 1545, and met in 25 sessions over the next 28 years, concluding on December 4, 1563. In all, about 270 different bishops attended through the years. Trent covered such a large period because it was often delayed by wars, plague, and the like. While there was some hope at the outset of the council for some reconciliation with the Protestant movement, at the end of things that was no longer in play, and Trent was a clear refutation of Luther and his ideas. As one example, Trent established an approved list and order of the books of the Bible for use by Catholics. It canonized the deuterocanonical books of the Bible, or what Protestants call the Apocrypha. Deuterocanon literally means the second canon. There were seven books, Baruch, Tobit, Judith, 1st and 2nd Maccabees, the Wisdom of Solomon, and Ecclesiasticus, that became confirmed as official books of the Catholic Bible. And more than that, anyone who disavowed those books was said to be anathema, or cut off from the church. As they wrote in their decree, If anyone received not, as sacred and canonical, the said books entire with all their parts, as they have been used to be read in the Catholic Church, and as they are contained in the old Latin Vulgate edition, and knowingly and deliberately condemn the traditions aforesaid, let him be anathema. So a lot of the data coming out of Trent reads this way. If you believe X, you're anathema. If you say that Y isn't true, you're anathema. Anathema and excommunication share a function and understanding that though they've separated somewhat over time, both intend to cut their object off from Christian fellowship and society. So these books had been around and had been studied and discussed for centuries, but they had never been considered part of the Christian canon until Trent. So the question is, why were they canonized at this late date? Now the answer lies in Maccabees, in which prayers for the dead are offered. So the Catholic Church saw this as supporting the doctrine of purgatory and refuting the Protestant rejection of the same. Trent also confirmed the Vulgate, which means common version, as the biblical translation approved for use by the Church. The Vulgate is a Latin translation of Scripture, completed in the 4th century, mostly by Jerome, who we'll hopefully cover in a future episode of this podcast. Of course, the Reformers had gone back to the original Greek, and they were translating the Bible into the common languages of the time. The Council also confirmed and affirmed the seven sacraments, baptism, confirmation, the Eucharist, penance, extreme unction, order, and matrimony. They said these were instituted by Christ, and again, they declared anyone who claimed that there were fewer or more sacraments to be anathema. Likewise, anyone claiming salvation is possible by faith alone without the sacraments is anathema. The bishops also clarified the Church's position on the Eucharist. Many Reformers rejected the Catholic doctrine of transubstantiation, 
which is the belief that the bread and wine of communion are in reality transformed into the body and blood of Christ during the Mass. Some, like Zwingli, saw the taking of the bread and the wine as merely commemorative, while others, like Luther, believed that the bread and the wine contained the real presence of Christ in sort of a middle position between the two. Again, the Council declared anathema anyone that denies, quote, that wonderful and singular conversion of the whole substance of the bread into the body and of the whole substance of the wine into the blood. There are tons more decrees and canons that were published over the 28 years of the Council. If you're interested, traditionalcatholic.net has a well-ordered listing of them. I've put a link in the show notes, so if you're interested, you can read them all at your leisure. A Trent didn't just result in a bunch of statements of faith and declarations of anathema. The bishops did also take steps to improve church discipline and move away from the excesses of the medieval church. It required better training and education for priests, who often couldn't even read the Latin they were supposed to use. It sought to end the practices of simony, or the selling of church offices, and also clamp down on nepotism. Trent also attempted to rein in the bishops. It limited bishops to control of only one diocese or office at a time. Bishops were expected to live in their districts and visit the churches under their control regularly, and also to live simply without excess or vanity. They were not allowed any long absence from their diocese without prior approval from the Pope. This was all designed to make them more hands-on leaders of the church, who were less interested in personal gain than in the spiritual health of their flock. The Council also issued a standardized Roman Missal, which is the book that contains the prayers, chants, and instructions for the Mass. Before this, there were multiple Missals in use. A Trent also standardized the Roman Breviary. The Breviary is the book that contains the services that were to be recited each day. Before Trent, each bishop had the authority and power to arrange his own order. And regarding indulgences, the sale of which had sparked the Reformation, Trent held that the Church had the power to issue and to use them, but they forbade the practice of buying and selling them. The sale of indulgences had never been official Church tradition, but of course, it was common practice. Trent ended that. And finally, at least for the purposes of this podcast, the Council of Trent corrected some errors that appeared in the Julian calendar that was in use at the time. Pope Gregory XIII requested changes to simplify the scheduling of Easter, and it reduced the number of leap years every 400 years from 100 to 97, which more accurately reflects the actual length of a year. Though this new Gregorian calendar was at first rejected by many Protestant countries, it eventually became the norm, and it's what we use today. And that's the Catholic Counter-Reformation. To me, it's more of a clarification than a reformation, and it did little to nothing to bridge the gap between Protestantism and Catholicism. More meaningful reforms would come 400 years later at the Second Vatican Council, which we may look at in a future episode. If you want to learn more about Vatican II right now, I recommend listening to episodes 49 to 51 of the excellent Soul Anchor podcast, which I'll link in the show notes. Until next time, God bless. God bless.